This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today, it's my great privilege to welcome Sophie Scott to the show. Sophie is a multi-award winning Australian medical reporter working for the ABC TV, radio and online. She's an author, published two books, Live a Longer Life and Road Testing Happiness. Sophie's an Associate Professor Adjunct at the University of Notre Dame Medical School, lecturing in health and science communication. Sophie's an ambassador for Bowel Cancer Australia and Pain Australia and regularly hosts and speaks at health forums and functions. She sits on several health and academic panels, journals and boards. Her passions are helping people prevent or recover from burnout, understanding anxiety and the mind-body connection. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute delight. As we were just chatting off air, burnout can happen to anyone. It did happen to you and you've recovered and you've got a remarkable story and tips, fantastic advice as to how to recover, that burnout can happen to anyone who's even employed by themselves or even working in the home with domestic work and overdoing things. That's right. So look, the, the official definition of burnout is definitely a workplace-related phenomenon. The, the the first definition of it really um, was to do with burnout in the workplace, but yep. certainly that sense of overwhelm, that sense of physical exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, and also the, the thing, one of the particular qualities of burnout is that people start to doubt their own ability. And right. so that's a very specific um, indicator of burnout that that you start to doubt your own ability. And that can happen, you know, for people who are, say, parents and feeling overwhelmed, and then you start mm-hmm. to doubt your own ability as a parent. So from a sort of literature point of view, burnout is definitely sits in the workplace um, as that's where it sort of came from. Yep. But it's certainly been um, attributed to other conditions like your other situations like being a parent, like being a carer. There's a lot of um, carers that feel burnt out. And it, when you when you look at, the risk factors for burnout, it's not surprising that um, that it can show up in other areas other than just work yeah. because it's things like um, having an overwhelming demand and then the, and the lack of resources and support to, to, to meet those demands. Mm. Um, it can be feeling like you're not supported, you know, whether that's through your in your workplace or, you know, in, in whatever else that you're doing. Um, and also a lack of recognition is another big factor. We we saw there was a really good, um, some really interesting research looking at people who healthcare workers that st- suffered burnout in the um, during the pandemic. Mm. One of the big factors that led them to feel burnt out was really that lack of recognition. Yep. This wasn't. This is not about being paid more or a salary, but just an acknowledgement of just how hard people were working. So that that's a really important factor for for leaders to to recognise as well if they're dealing with teams, mm. to recognise good work when it's done. And that can be as simple as just saying to someone, you've done a great job with that project and not underestimating the value of that positive feedback might have on somebody yeah. and just accepting that, oh, they know they've done a good job, you know, I don't need to tell them. But burn, not not getting that recognition is definitely one of the the factors that can lead to to burnout. Even though it's there's there's a number of different factors. 
It's amazing, isn't it? It's a simple, healthy relationship that we know so well in friendship, in personal relationships, acknowledgement, you know, making it fair. Um, And so in the workplace, any kind of work setting, whether it's paid or unpaid, the same mores apply that if it's healthy, balanced, you're recognizing someone helping you or you're recognizing a helper or someone who's working for you or in that or in that workspace that's a healthy exchange exactly and it sets up that positive feedback loop so that you you feel good for getting the feedback and then the person who gives it feels good as well and an interesting Amanda that you mentioned fairness because that's another factor as well so a sense of fairness um, and was another risk factor for that's been identified in the research for burnout particularly if people feel that you know, policies are not, if, if it's in a workplace setting, that policies are not being applied a, across the board or that there are there's discrimination or a glass ceiling or something stopping you from achieving what you want to achieve. So feeling a lack of fairness is definitely another factor that people need to bear in mind for as a risk factor for burnout. But um, the, the thing about burnout, it's not, it's not, it's something that sort of creeps up on you, but, and it's not something that you can necessarily get over by just taking like a long weekend or a couple of days off because what happens with burnout is it people get stuck, their nervous system gets stuck in that fight or flight yep. state, really that overactive fight or flight state where you're, you know, having constant adrenaline and, and you know, cortisol pumping through your system and, it, and your autonomic nervous system can become very impacted by that. And that's where you start to see a lot of the physical symptoms of burnout, which people suffer. But also, interestingly, the study that Professor Gordon Parker did recently called the Sydney Burnout Study found that a third of participants in that study were suffering from quite significant cognitive dysfunction as well wow. as a result of burnout. So this is not something you know necessarily benign. This is something that's having quite significant impacts on your physical health but also your ability to function properly in the workplace and so definitely something you want to take seriously if people start think of the signs of burnout and they think oh that sounds like me it's it's definitely good to do something in the early stages so that you don't end up getting the physical symptoms down the track Yes, because we know burnout leads to all these other physical and mental um, health conditions and problems. And if we take a step back, in terms of fight or flight, some people may not know what that's about, but I guess that's where, as you said, we're in a sense of danger or doubting ourselves may make us feel like we're in a sense of danger and danger produces that adrenal cortisol reaction of, as you say, the the hormones, the adrenal cortisol. And, and then we're in what's known as fight or flight or in a heightened aroused system, aren't we? That's right. And the thing about the nervous system and that, that fight or flight response is that it's fine when it's in short term and an acute to, to get you sort of to react to what's going on and then the, the idea is that, you know, you might deal with whatever stress happens, but then your nervous system regulates and goes back to a more relaxed, calm state. But what happens when you have prolonged stress or chronic stress is that you stay in that elevated, you know, um, overactive fight or flight state for a prolonged period of time and your nervous system can't regulate back to to balance, to a normal, you know, a normal state. And that's where problems occur. So it's not about being calm all the time. It's not about having no stress, but it's about if you're chronically stressed for such a long period of time is that you can't reset, your nervous system can't reset itself back to to normal. And then you can't sort of, it can't sort of 
change throughout the day because you know some stress we know some stress is good for us some stress helps us perform better for example or you know feel give us energy to do things so it's not about wanting to get rid of stress completely but it's about how can you learn to to manage it how can you boost what they call um in polyvagal theory the window of tolerance mm. so this is how much you can tolerate how much daily stress you can tolerate and what are the things that you can do to build your resistance or your resilience to stress and i think it's important to say amanda that a lot of people who get burnt out feel like it's their fault yeah. they feel like it's something that they did and and it's really important to say that burnout is a sign of a systemic issue yep. it's a systemic issue where particularly if you look at you know fields like healthcare or even teaching or other other fields or first responders where the there's an overwhelming demand on people's time and in a lot of cases they don't have the resources to do the job that they want to do as effectively and as efficiently as they want to do it. And so that's a systemic issue, not a personal failing. Yeah. And that's really important for people to know because, you know, there's been good studies to show that even the most resilient of medical students, for example, will suffer the same levels of burnout when they're placed into a, a, a toxic or under-resourced health system. Yeah. So this is no fault of their own. And that's really important for people to understand. It's not something there's not a personal failing on their part. That's it. It's systemic. It's relationship. It's relational. And there's an over, I think, um, estimation of how much resilience we would all have and put any organism under enough pressure and it will break. <laughs> That's true. And there's actually quite a bit of pushback on, on the concept of resilience in a lot of ways, even though it's a very admirable trait, you know, to be the, the, the definition of resilience is to be able to be sort of strength under you know, during conflict or doing, but the but the problem with resilience is that it puts it all back on the individual. Mm. Say, you need to be the one to be deal better with what's going on. You know, you need to be the one to be strong. And yet, no, it, no matter how resilient you are as an individual, if you're working or in in a very you know toxic environment, or you have too much too much demand on your time, and then and nowhere near the resources to meet that demand, no one's going to be able to achieve that. No matter how resilient you are. So personal resilience is definitely an admirable quality, but it doesn't replace looking at the more systemic issues to do with burnout and to see what we can do on a on a sort of macro level to help people perform better and and be feel supported, whether it's in the workplace or in the home or or as a carer. And in your situation, the systemic process that we were talking about for people who work more for themselves or entrepreneurs and in your instance it's boundaries and that system that we're even creating for ourselves or we're crossing boundaries in our own lives our own system of life that's right boundaries are crucial and boundaries are not always easy particularly if you are someone that really cares about the work that you do and often the 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 most passionate people who are the most passionate about the work that they do the most high performing yeah. are also at risk of burnout because they give so much of themselves to the work that they do and the thing about boundaries and putting them boundaries in place is it really is about protecting your energy and focus so that you can continue to do whatever it is that you enjoy doing but it can be very difficult particularly if you're someone that you know that really loves the work that you're doing to put those boundaries in place but but if you don't then you can end up um you know becoming burnt out so i think that's something that for some people you learn the hard way and that burnout can be the lesson that you learn to say 
you know, and even particularly you mentioned like as people working for themselves or as an entrepreneur that, you know, it can be very challenging because when you're, if you're running your own business, you're in charge of so many different parts of the business and there's almost no time for anything else other than running the business. But if you don't put those boundaries in place, then you can easily get burnt out and then you're no help to anyone. You're certainly not a help to your clients or your your customers. So having good boundaries is really is really important. And and if people do feel like they're struggling, it's important to to reach out for support because often with people with, who are feeling burnt out can feel like they're quite alone or overwhelmed, but there is good support available for people and you that that can help you overcome burnout. Yes, and you've got some excellent support for people in your Insight Timer app. Um, you have a course on recovering for burnout that people could reach out to and your meditations on that Insight Timer app with sleep uh, recordings to come. That's right. So, you know, one of the things that I really looked at when it, was, when it came to recovering from burnout is what are the things that I could do myself? Because as much as you might want to change the system as a whole, the, the only things that you can really impact are your own thoughts and words and actions. And so I was, for me, I looked at what are the things that I could do from a personal point of view that would help build that window of tolerance to deal with stress, to, to be able to regulate your nervous system more effectively. And one of the things we know that works so well to deal with, you know, um, with, with stress and anxiety is meditation and not even if people are not even into meditation it's just deep breathing it's just yeah. making sure that your exhale is longer than your inhale so that you're activating that so that you're just regulating your nervous system and activating the part of your nervous system that feels calm mm. and and rest and digest rather than fight or flight and so that, that's why I was um, really keen to sort of develop some some resources for people so that they can listen listen to some meditations and and do, you know, my goal is always to do, what can you do? What's the smallest actions you can do that are going to have the biggest difference? Yeah. And doing those small actions on a regular basis because you're much better off to do something just for a few minutes every day rather than think, oh, I'll just go and do an hour-long meditation on a weekend and do nothing throughout the week. Just embedding those little rituals in your morning routine, embedding a ritual in your evening routine, that's going to make the difference. And the more automatic you can make it, the better, because, you know, so much of our behavior is automatic that we don't actually choose to do it. We just do it without thinking. So the more you can say, what I, what I find helpful is to think about as soon as you wake up in the morning, rather than sort of, you know, getting your phone and start scrolling on news sites and doom scrolling, make that the sort of cue as the time to do some deep breathing or some meditation, literally as soon as you wake up, before you've started to sort of think about everybody else's agenda and all the other to-do lists and everything else on your your busy day, use the, those sort of first eight minutes of the day to, to sort of ground yourself and think, do a beautiful meditation and think to yourself, I always try to think to myself, what's the most important thing that I, that I need to do for myself today? Wow. You know, before you start to, you know, put everyone else's agenda in into place. Yes, and as you say, if it's automated, if it's if it's something you do as a regular habit, you're more likely to continue doing it. And that's something you really enforce um, in in your blog that it had to be quick and easy. I love that because you know you think of burnout and you think, as you said, you know, all or nothing, big goals, and you know it's insurmountable. And people think, oh, it's so onerous, I'll never get into it. But you break it down into three eight minute 
little blocks during the day that seem so easy with Tai Chi, with a walk in sunshine and with, as you say, meditation. And if you link it with your lunchtime and your wake time and your sleep time, you've got it. Exactly. And that's the thing about if you're feeling overwhelmed, the last thing you want to think about is, oh, great. Now she's telling me I've got to start bringing, doing all these things on top of everything else I have to do. So you really need to sort of think about the smallest actions that are going to have the biggest impact. And, and they really are, from a scientific point of view, the meditation and the deep breathing, getting some movement, you know, getting your body moving, because we just know that the, the science of just how great that is for your mood and for your brain function. And then also the other big thing that really makes a difference is connecting with people and having that sense of connection with someone that you, that you so where you really feel that sense of joy Yep. And, you know, um, it can be, it can be, you can often, you know, put, put that on your to-do list, but it ends up sort of falling down the bottom of your list, you know, to ring a friend or to catch up with someone that you've been wanting to catch up with for ages. But the, the, if you actually put that at the top of the list, you will find that you get so much more benefit out of just doing that. If you're going to, you know, just say you prioritize catching up with someone for a coffee or even picking up the phone and ringing somebody and just say, I know I haven't spoken to you for ages, but I was thinking of you and I just really wanted to ring and say hi. Yeah. And, you know, all the research shows that when people do that reaching out, um, it actually benefits not only the person doing the reaching out, but the person on the other end, that they feel great as well yeah. and much more than the, than you might realise. So it's definitely worth, worth thinking about, you know, our relationships and our sense of connection is just so important for your emotional well-being. I think we're still recovering in many ways from the lockdowns and the lack of connectivity that we have to refine those habits of being social again in many ways. That's right. And I think it's also important to prioritise, you know, who are the people that really fill you with joy when you're with them and when you leave that interaction, you think, oh, I feel so I feel so good. I feel amazing after that. Yep. And they're the people that you want to be prioritising um, the connections with because, you know, the feeling's probably mutual that you'll feel great, they'll feel great. And, yeah, we are, you know, humans are, we're hardwired for connection. And we, as much as it's great, you know, to talk on Zoom or do something virtual, mm -hmm. there's nothing that replaces that in-person catching up with somebody, even if it's just for a short time, even if it's just for a coffee, yeah. just say, or a walk, you know, you know, if you can, if you can pair the the movement with, you know, with walking with a friend, we also know from a habit forming point of view that you're much more likely to stick to the habits if there's someone else committing to it at the same time. So if you say to a friend, "Look, why don't we commit to doing a walk three times a week or twice a week? Yep. I'll meet you here." You're much more likely to stick with it because you don't want to let that person down. You know that they're going to be turning up. Yes, you don't want to let them down. So. The more you can sort of build in those little little hacks that can help you stick to good habits, because otherwise it is it can be challenging to to think about when can I incorporate these things into my daily life. The other thing that is helpful that I find with forming new habits is is what is what's called linchpin habits, where you pair a new habit to an existing one, yep. and so that can be um, really helpful because if you're thinking about it, for example, it might be like say let's go for a walk every night after dinner just a short walk you know like a 15 minute walk around the block well you know you're going to have dinner every night so if you pair the walk to after dinner then it's sort of something that's already in your schedule 
Yes. Or it might be that you practice, say, balance exercises while you're brushing your teeth. Yep. You know, stand on one leg and just <laughs> practice brushing your teeth and balancing. And if you do that, then you've done balance exercises twice a day without even having to think about when am I going to do balance exercises. So that can be very useful as well um, to, to think about the linchpin habits and, you know, what am I already doing that I could pair with this new habit that I want to introduce to my life? Yes, I hear people say often that it takes as long to make their coffee in the morning or their cup of tea as it does to do their breathing exercise and then it's done. Exactly. And so that that's a great um, example of using something where you're already doing something, you're already waiting for whatever it is, the kettle to boil or the coffee to be made. That's a perfect opportunity to think about, you know, doing something else that you want to add into your life, like some, a breathing practice. And, um, and the research shows, Amanda, that these practices really make a difference. That's the thing that I find compelling about it. You know, you don't need to wait for motivation because the science and the research is really overwhelming on just the benefits of these sort of simple practices in terms of not only how they make you feel, but how they change your brain chemistry, you know, how, how meditation changes your brain chemistry, how, how movement does things to to activate different parts of the brain that that help you deal with you know executive function and 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 planning and empathy and just switches on all these and different parts of the brain yeah. so we know we know that, it, that it's going to benefit you um and and you don't also need to be doing things for hours on end to get the benefits but it's the consistency that matters there was a really interesting paper looking at <clears throat> people who meditated for 30 minutes a day for six months, and they measured the level of cortisol in their hair. Wow. And found that um, doing that consistent meditation actually reduced the cortisol by 25% yep. over that six-month period. But but the key was the consistency, mm. that they doing it consistently for the six months really made a difference. So that's changing things on a physiological level. So we know we know it works. It's just a matter of thinking about when can you incorporate it into your busy day. That's it. And we know that it reduces hypertension and all kinds of things as well. So, you know, often there's not as much need for medication if you're meditating. And how long do you think it took you to burn out? Because your recovery is amazing. And with this eight minutes, three times a day, how long did that take? Well, I always say that recovery is something that you have to recommit to every day. So it's not, it's not like you can just, I mean, I, I think it took it took probably quite a while to get back to fully functioning in terms of from a physical point of view yep. to be able to do like I like I, I was only really I wasn't really able to exercise much at all mm. and I was really burnt out I could only do some tai chi exercises that I found on YouTube that were <clears throat> a video that, that was from some senior citizens doing <laughs> tai chi exercise I thought well if they can do it I can do it as well <laughs> But um, I've been able to sort of graduate up to doing more exercise now, which is really good. But I think the thing about recovery is that it's something that you have to recommit to mm. every day because otherwise you can easily slide back into the habits of what you were doing before. So it's not to sort of, you know, do this for a couple of weeks and then you can just go back to the way you were. Yeah. I try to, and I can I can sense when when these things fall off my schedule or for example when I was I was just traveling for a month and I wasn't able to do as much exercise as before mm. even though we were walking a lot 
but I still, I, I did find that it was starting to impact how I was feeling because I wasn't able to do as much exercise as, yeah. as normal. Um, and I just, so that's the thing you, you do have to commit to doing it on a consistent basis, but you, you'll feel the benefits. That's the thing. And you want to keep doing it because you feel so much better. And as you say, you can see, feel things slipping. Everyone's different, of course. And some people will say, you know, I've noticed I'm going to bed later and I'm not getting as much sleep or I'm starting to eat junk food. I'm not cooking. I'm not, as you say, exercising for whatever reason. So it's a matter of all of us being pretty much acutely aware of ourselves. And as you mentioned earlier, the systemic issues of our system that we've either created or we're enmeshed with in a hospital setting if we're working in a hospital or teaching setting or even in a family setting um, with a busy family. Yeah, and I think the thing is not to be too hard on yourself. But that's, you know, when you, if you are feeling overwhelmed or burnt out, to just think what can I what can I do to make things easier for me and what can I and I one of the things I talk about in that course on insight timer is doing a stress audit so really just putting sitting down and putting down on paper what are all the things that are causing you stress both you know in your in your home or your work or or your other relationships and then and what are the things that you could either delegate to other people what are the things that you could ditch, get rid of? Yep. And what are the things that you could delay, put off? Because often, you know, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you get you can get that sense that, oh, I've got so much to do and all has to be done straight away. But yep. if you sit back and think and about it, there are some things that you could probably put off for a little while, give yourself a bit of breathing space and say, look, I'm not going to deal with those right now. I'm going to ring those people and say, I'll get, you know, we'll, we'll deal with this in a couple of weeks or whatever. And just give yourself a bit of breathing space and what, what can, you know, and look at what can make your life a bit easier. You know, if you've got a really busy working life and you've got, a, you know, kids as well, rather than thinking about having a home-cooked meal every night, is it going to be easy for you to think about getting, you know, if, if you're able to, one of those, you know, meal delivery services and cutting yourself a bit of slack and not thinking you have to do everything and be every, be, you know, perfect at everything mm. and just, um, prioritizing what's really important to you and you know what's really more important is sitting down and having dinner if you've got kids I know I've got four children they're all a bit older now but I remember for us it was really important that we all sat down and had dinner every night together and you know I was lucky that you know they were into cooking and my husband is as well so we, we generally had someone who and I love cooking too so we were able to cook the dinner but if we weren't, I would have been just as happy. It's about the sitting down and having dinner together, not necessarily what you're eating and not necessarily the fact that you cooked it yourself. So thinking about, you know, cutting yourself a bit of slack and not trying to be all things to all people because otherwise you can end up, you know, feeling very overwhelmed. And that's why, you know, a lot of working parents feel that way. And um, and it's just good to sort of step back and think, what are the things I could do that could make things a little bit easier for myself? And as you say, um, taking things off the list as well as adding resources, which we know are so important for that burnout equation and and extra resources in terms of meals that are already prepared, um, seeing a friend, having some play, having some extra sleep, um, exercise, all those resources, so important. Sleep is really important as well. You know, I, I think particularly if you're not sleeping well, you're waking up feeling tired, it just makes everything so much more difficult. So making sure you're getting you know, good quality sleep, ideally not being on screens and and not having your phone 
you know, not being on the phone in bed and things like that, having just making sure that you're getting as good quality sleep as possible so that you are waking up feeling as refreshed as possible. Otherwise, you're really sort of starting behind the eight ball. So, yeah, so making sure sleep sleep hygiene is is really important. Absolutely. So if people want to find information about you and your speaking, your award-winning journalism, broadcasting, your books, uh, your work as a professor, as an adjunct associate professor, they can find you on your website, which is? Yeah, so it's just sophiescott.com.au and that's got lots of resources and I, I write a, a, a newsletter about twice, every every two weeks it goes out to subscribers and there I go into a bit more detail about these different topics that we've talked about, not just to do with burnout, but lots a lot of things to do with mental health. So the one that's going out tomorrow or it's going out next will be about overthinking, you know, like lots of us are overthinkers and we tend to ruminate on things and how do you, how can you, what are some little techniques to overcome overthinking? Um, I've done other ones on high functioning anxiety, which is very common in people. Yeah, so just and really looking at things from a very evidence-based point of view. So I always like to include the scientific references and the studies so that if you're really into the science and the, the sort of nerdy end of things like I am, you can then go and do a bit of a deeper dive into the science yourself and you can read the papers and you can and you can sort of understand the science a little bit more. So I think that helps people because it gives you that it's built it's built on a solid foundation. So so the the information that I put out. Really, I think if you if you can understand that it's coming from a very evidence based point of view, mm. it's going to be mean that you know it's had that peer review process. It's had someone look at it and say, "Yep, this this looks like it made a difference. This works." Yes, and hopefully it'll encourage people to to give things a go. And and yeah, I think you want to just you know th- also think about if you are feeling overwhelmed. Lots of us are perfectionists, or I like to sort of call myself a bit of a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> but that that sort of perfectionistic tendency can actually really hold you back because you're always sort of trying to do you know too much of everything and 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 not being satisfied with you know enough is is good enough. Yeah. And um, so I think looking at how you know how satisfied, making sure you're satisfied with what you have right now rather than always thinking, oh, I'll be happy when this happens. Mm. So, yes, having those perfectionistic tendencies can really make things a bit tricky because you're always thinking about I'll be happy when this happens or I'll be happy when that happens rather than I'll be happy right now. And that's why I love a gratitude practice as Mm. well, Amanda, because, you know, gratitude is is a very instant sort of grounding reminder of the things that you have right now around you to be grateful for and that can be a a beautiful practice to do either in the mornings or or at the end of the day just thinking about three things that you're grateful for and so yeah gratitude meditation is a is a beautiful way to just just remind yourself of the great things that you already have absolutely great for mental health because we know perfectionism links is linked with depression so it's it's really not attainable to be perfect (laughs) (laughs) exactly and um, yeah, so I, I really uh, urge people to, if they, if 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 it, if these sort of things are resonating, to sort of think about incorporating those little rituals like a gratitude practice. It sounds pretty simple, but it actually makes a really big difference mm. because it brings you back to what you already have, yeah. and rather than focusing on what you don't have and what you might want, 
in the future. And there's lots of, um, you know, often we don't really appreciate the things that we have around us because we just we just sort of take them for granted. Yes, and you've got lots of other tips and really helpful resources on your Instagram account, which is Sophie Scott and the number two. That's right. I, I had to put a number two because there's a professor of neuroscience called Professor Sophie Scott in London, <laughs> and she's a very early adopter of technology. So she grabbed the Twitter handle and she grabbed the Instagram, which is all power to her. She's she's a professor of neuroscience. She definitely deserves it. So I just added a number two at the end. So um, yeah. So I I I really like putting uh, good quality content out on social media because. My view as a science communicator is you need to meet people where they are. You need yep. to meet the audiences where they are, whether that's in a podcast like this mm-hmm. or on social media. And, you know, I've got four young sons who are in their, um, you know, early, mid-20s, and that they're getting all their information from, from social media, from, from online. So you need to go where the audience is. Yep. And as you know, you know, and they're in podcasts and they're on online and so... Instagram and social media for all its flaws can also be a good source of quality information if you if you know the right places to look. Definitely. And your sources are awesome. Sophie's website is at www.sophiescott.com.au. You'll find the links to Sophie's website, Instagram, her books, the meditations mentioned here, and her other resources in the show notes for this podcast. Um, Sophie, I'm asking all my guests, what makes you psyched for life? Um, what makes me psyched for life is really the opportunity to help people, to help people live a happier life, to help people uh, get over feeling overwhelmed and to give them some tools and techniques that are really grounded in good science that we know will make a difference and that we know that you don't have to spend hours and hours a day doing things that can really boost your mental health and your physical health and just empowering people to, yeah, to take those small steps that will make you feel so much better. We are all so lucky that you are psyched for life (laughs) about giving us all this wonderful information and techniques. Thank you so much, Sophie. Thanks, Amanda. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 397 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24 7 on 1800-55-1800, and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.